0: Decision Gates In the world of video games, decision gates are when you have a choice that affects the narrative you're creating. Oftentimes, this happens during dialogue when a character is offering you a quest or asking your help on something. Press X to agree, press Y to ignore. Decision gates exist in politics too. MSNBC's sentient pile of corned beef hash, Chris Matthews, made what I thought was a very thought-provoking point on primary night in New Hampshire. He described Amy Klobuchar's rise as resulting from one moment. Sure, polls and headlines pointed out that her debate performance was key, but specifically what part What was said that really helped her move the needle? Matthews offered this decision. Win and defeat Trump. Before I move on to Mayor Buttigieg, let me just ask, is anyone else on the stage concerned about having a Democratic Socialist at the top of the Democratic ticket? Stop here. Everyone on that stage has a split second to act. Raise your hand and openly defy Bernie and his ever buzzing hive of progressives this isn't a critique of Medicare for all or the Green New Deal this is a question about Bernie's very essence his core branding or you can keep your hand in your pocket and just move on to the next question well only one person raises her hand <laughs> Senator Klobuchar <laughs> um, I- Bernie and I work together all the time, uh, but I think uh, we are not going to be able to outdivide the divider in chief. According to Matthews, this diametric opposition to Bernie Sanders and specifically the Democratic Socialist label is what brings Klobuchar from fifth to third and within spitting distance of winning. But let's play that moment back again from another perspective let me just ask is anyone else on the stage concerned about having a democratic socialist at the top of the democratic ticket this is also a decision for pete Buttigieg. remember where he is at this moment he just by all available metrics had beaten bernie sanders in iowa And at this moment, he's surging in the New Hampshire polls. And as we later find out, he finishes less than two points behind Bernie. Is this the moment that could have won him New Hampshire? Had he taken that bold stance? If he just hits X and challenges Bernie directly, does that strong moderate energy swing his way? Does it pass Amy by totally? Is Pete Buttigieg the winner? Of course, we'll never know. But we do know that at the large of everybody who supports us on TakePoliticSeriously.com, PX3 begins now! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for Friday, Valentine's Day. When arrows don't penetrate, Cupid grabs the pistol and we will empty the clip on this very episode to send you into the week. Big shout out to all my lonely hearts here on Valentine's Day listening to a political podcast. I'm with you. I'm with you in solidarity. All right. Uh, we have a great show. We got an interview with a candidate, Mike Larson. He is running in the Democratic primary and then hopefully the general election to uh, challenge Jim Jordan, he of the absent jacket. We're going to do a little bit of a mailbag, so emails that you guys have been sending in for the last few weeks here to the show. And we will be giving away some very unique... Very unique stuff. Any Yang gang out there, you're going to want to listen a little bit later in the show because uh, the campaign undertaker has brought some tremendous favors to those who want a piece of history about Yang 2020. But first things first, let's talk about some news. We have two new polls in, uh, and they are water in a desert because they are polls from Nevada and South Carolina. We have not had a poll from either of these states since before the Iowa caucus. Obviously, a lot has happened since then. But it seems as if the more things change, the more they stay the same. First, a poll from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. This one has Bernie up on top, 25 points, Biden 18 points, and then the rest of everybody, including Warren, Steyer, Buddha, Judge, and Klobuchar, between 13 and 10. That would put them below the 15% threshold that matters there in the caucuses. And it is worth noting that this does officially put Bernie Sanders in the position of being the new real clear politics average champion of the Silver State. But Biden is still fairly strong. He's taken a dip in his polling. You know, uh, in in January 11th, he was averaging 28.3. And now he is down to 18.5. So there is an erosion there, but he's still in the top tier, or at least outside of Warren Steyer and Buttigieg and Klobuchar. We'll see where that goes. The surprising one to me, though, and maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe I'm just too invested in my own narrative that Joe Biden's going to drop out. But South Carolina, this is a poll by East Carolina University. They have Biden up 28 percent. Sanders is second with 20 percent. Steyer is third with 14. Then Buttigieg with eight. Warren with seven. Klobuchar with seven. Now, that is also a slight dip for Joe Biden, but he's still on top. Now, I obviously fixate on polls like this because it slaps down my narrative that Joe Biden's going to drop out at least before South Carolina. I need some really bad Biden South Carolina polls. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Somebody get me some bad Biden South Carolina polls so I can really cash in on this Twitter swag. But make no mistake, these are disappointing if you're Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg wanted to be look get get a second look from voters. After doing very, very well in Iowa and New Hampshire, whatever you might think of what happened in Iowa, he was right there in the mix, right? Whatever uh, you think about New Hampshire, he was within two points of winning the damn state. So if that's the case, you would hope if you were him. That when you get to Nevada and South Carolina, where historically you have not pulled particularly well, that you would see. Some kind of jump. That there would be some kind of signs of life. Now this is kind of an off week for the primaries because we don't have anything for another seven days. That's when I'll be heading out to Nevada for that Saturday primary. But, while a lot can happen in a week, you gotta wonder... If it's not do or die time for judge, and if it is, what he does to goose a little bit of extra support in the deserts of Nevada. Politics! All right, I want to remind everybody that you can support this very show by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where you need to be to make sure that you support this show. The support continues to grow. We continue to smash through uh, wherever I thought the support of this kind of program would be. Uh, And I don't want to stop it now. Again, we have been asking you guys to proselytize, spread the good word. I've seen a bunch of people on Twitter. It's like one of my favorite things. Whenever anybody on Twitter, celebrity friend asks, I'm looking for new podcasts or I'm looking for a politics podcast. I love it when you tag me and say, hey, look, PX3 is a non-advocacy show. It is about smart and funny analysis of the race. You ain't gonna find this content anywhere else and you sure as hell aren't gonna find anybody who's self-financing on-the-ground reporting in all of these primaries. I don't know anybody else who's doing it like I'm doing it. And when I say how I'm doing it, I mean how I'm doing it because my bosses, you guys, have paid the way. If you want to continue to support that kind of effort, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Remember, $3 uh, a club gets you bonus content uh, throughout the week, including a new episode on Monday, new episode on Thursday, mini But when we're on the road... That's a lot of sound of the candidates themselves, a lot of a uh, real-time reaction to how these races which often turn in the final moments are evolving. If you want to get your finger on the pulse of this, head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. One of the places that I had the chance to be was at that final Yang uh, rally i mean it was a it was supposed to be a victory party right it turned into a campaign suspension announcement but i was there at the end of the tour where all the yang gang was uh, commiserating with each other celebrating the campaign that was run and i got to tell you your boys got sticky fingers because i came away with not only a yang gang sign a math sign but also a poster that was literally on the wall of that fateful night. If you want it, you're getting it for free. All you got to do is head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and on this very Valentine's Day episode, in the comments, write GONG. G-O-N-G so we can signify the campaign undertaker, and I will send that out. This week, along with the Delaney merch, I got to take another uh, uh, look through all of our our swag because I think we we still probably have some other old stuff that that we have not yet given away. Uh, But head on over there right now. Takepoliticsseriously.com, support the show, or if you just want to get this Yang merch, write Gong on this, the February 14th. Episode. Politics. You can write into this show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. And uh, periodically we read them right here. Jason writes So Biden's still in the race. Warren's still in the race. Question Has anyone ever been this far behind, this early on the Democratic side, and made a rally slash comeback where it makes sense for them to think that they actually have a shot? Has it been done before? And if it has, why not hang your hat on like X in the X primary season? We too shall rise. Wouldn't it be prudent to study how they accomplish such a feat? Thank you for writing in, Jason. Jason was at our meetup, actually, in, in New Hampshire. It was great to meet him. Yes, uh, it has. Bill Clinton. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton was getting uh, was was a real underdog to Paul Songus and uh, a few other. Folks, uh, he didn't he, he basically he's the 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 pattern breaker and all the like Iowa is predictive or you need to win New Hampshire or like he sucked in both and then went on to not only win the nomination, but win the presidency against George H.W. Bush went on for eight years and introduced the world to the Clintons. You can take that as positively or negatively as you would like, but. That is the case. And I believe I read an email or a memo or something from the Warren campaign. Maybe it was just a Warren supporter on Twitter that was bringing that up. The big question is, look, 92 was a different universe in terms of political attention uh, than 2020 is. It's almost like they weren't even playing the same game. So it is kind of a question mark there. The other looming issue would be a brokered or contested convention, at which point nobody's going to want to drop out because everyone's going to want some delegates that they can either trade in for Chuck E. Cheese tickets at a convention through, you know, favors and consolidation, or they could be, you know, the, the person that everybody settles on. Michael writes in, there's only one logical reading of Barr's comments. Mr. President, please stop saying the quiet part out loud. We've talked about this. Uh, P.S. I know it's a tough competition, but I think Barr is at the top of the list of worst appointments to the Trump administration, both because of the depth of his sycophantry and the damage that he can do given the vast powers of the Department of Justice, Stephen Miller doesn't count because he didn't need confirmation. Although he's one of the few things that make me embarrassed to be a Duke alum. Michael, allow me to tell you as uh, uh, clearly as I can that you should always be embarrassed to be a Duke alum. Duke sucks. But to address your point, uh, look, I mean, uh, no matter, there's no winning for for Bill Barr amongst anybody that already hates him. <laughs> like, because theoretically, what he said would be the the counterfactual evidence to the idea that he is a total sycophantic tool. And so he says, hey, I don't think that it's appropriate for the president to be tweeting about this because it makes it impossible for me to do my job. And, you know, the immediate reaction, like Michael pointed out, is for folks to be like, yeah, okay, you're just lying or you're just giving us a story. I don't know. I I I don't I don't know how much coordination there is of anything in 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 the Trump administration. It seems as if the the read that I can buy the most clearly about it is that it is totally and completely chaotic at all times. But, you know, as for the worst appointee, I mean, who knows? It's such a revolving door there. Fritz from Naptown writes in, I couldn't sleep last night. My mind was racing about what happens next. To Donald Trump. Hypothetically, gods know it's not a given. Trump would be voted out in November. But what does he do after that? Media empire? Escape to Russia? Keep a low pro- profile and fade away? Uh, and Then he says, I can't even finish that thought. I ask you, J.R. Young, where do these Trump train tracks end? He's going to be a media figure for the rest of his life. Why would he... I mean... It, it brought him everything he could ever want. He will have whatever platform he wants. He's going to be the most visible ex-president of all time. Ex- exactly what he does? Is it writing a book? Is it just raising money and doing rallies for people? Who knows? But uh, uh, I, I will tell you this. Nobody but nobody will be a more heard-from ex-president, whether it be next year or in 2024, than Donald Trump will. And finally, I love this email. Trenton writes, So, I like when your mom is on the show, but she always wonders why Mayor Beat isn't doing great with young or African-American voters. I spoke to my grandmother, Not specifically about your grandma, but this was her take as an older African-American. She prefers Bloomberg, doesn't plan on voting for him over Pete, because although they both did questionable things to African-Americans, Bloomberg at least apologized for stop and frisk, and also said his intentions were not for police to target uh, black folk. I don't know how true his statement is. Pete continually dodges questions surrounding African-Americans, most importantly the arrest rate of African-Americans while he was mayor. This doesn't sit right with many African-American voters. Mayor Mayor Pete may not be old enough to have corruption scandals, but I don't believe he will ever get the black vote if he can't come out and explain his reasoning for targeting African-Americans for arrest with typically nonviolent charges. Pete has to stop deflecting from the questions about African-Americans in this community being four times more likely to be arrested for the same drug offenses as Caucasians. Trended number one, thank you for bothering your grandma for this podcast. Number two, I uh, texted my mom just to let her know because this is not the only email, but it was one of my favorite that uh, uh, sparked just great conversation. Uh, People love responding to Gloria Young. and Gloria Young is continually baffled By why people are doing it. So keep sending me stuff and I'm just going to keep letting her know about it. Because she is never not bewildered that people care care about her particular brand of opinions. Here's what I find fascinating, Trenton. That we can even compare Mayor Pete's record with his police force. And Michael Bloomberg's record with the New York City police force. I think if I were to get into the head of the Pete campaign, I think part of what they find to be a no-win scenario is that for whatever that record was, and it can be good or bad, those stats are always going to be skewed. And if we're, if we're specifically talking about uh, you know, crime or arrest trends between South Bend, Indiana and New York City, then the, the, the spikes, you're, you're going to be able to find spikes in a smaller community a lot easier. That's just statistics, right? Whereas stop and frisk was, even if you remove a racist, and by that I mean uh, an idea that that black people are, let's say, uh, uh, biologically more likely to commit crime, right? Like whatever kind of racist thought that you can that you can assign to it. And I'm not here to take that away from anybody. If you believe. Uh, uh, that, that Michael Bloomberg thought that and that's why he pushed stop and frisk, then that's fine. But in that Aspen tape that just came out about uh, uh, where Michael Bloomberg is talking himself about it, the the horrifyingly troubling thing about it is that it's so authoritarian. And And I'm not saying this is mutually exclusive. I think authoritarian things can very often be racist. But what he's effectively saying is stop and frisk is important. Because we need to terrorize black people in New York. We need to make sure that whether they're innocent or they're guilty, they know that they should not be leaving their house with a gun. Because at the very least, they know they're going to get stopped by the cops. They know they're going to get frisked by them. And they know that if, if they have a gun on them, then it's going to be a major problem. And so... The hopeful unintended or the hopeful consequence of this is that violent people leave their guns at home because that will lower the homicide rate. That will lower the gun violence rate. So you can put various different groups into that bucket. But the the point here is that Michael Bloomberg believes that authoritarian measures work. That's what he put into practice. In New York City. Whatever Mayor Pete did in firing a, a police chief, that to me is just like, like we're 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 talking about orders of magnitude different in terms of how things actually played out. Now, you can always say that this is about judgment. And and so by judgment, even if Pete had a smaller community to affect. His judgment is suspect. And I totally get that. And by and large, also, it's like it's not my job to tell black people who they should or shouldn't vote for. So all my blessings to your grandma uh, on, on whoever she's going to cast a ballot for. But that is something that I do find wild. Like, I just find crazy that we're, we're going to compare Pete's record in South Bend, Indiana to to Michael Bloomberg's. Politics. Our guest today is Mike Larson. He is an Emmy nominated television writer and former aide to Congresswoman Jackie Speer, who is running as a Democrat against conservative Republican Congressman Jim Jordan in Ohio. You can get his website, Ohio Mike2020, and on Twitter at Mike Larson, L A R S E N O H as in Ohio. Welcome to the show, Mike. Good to
1: be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, man. Uh, uh, this is this is a good one. I, I, I believe th- this came to fruition because we have a mutual friend in Andrew Heaton, right?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you reminded me of that. I, I don't know that I knew that it came from Andrew. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I did his podcast, uh, I think, in December.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I remember, I think I was talking to him, and I was like, hey, do you know just anybody that... Uh, would be good to to have on, and your your name was was among them, uh, because you are a, a very unique, uh, actual politician. We we do very precious few actual uh candidate interviews on this show okay. because candidates in general, you know, they're gonna say all the same things you can basically read off their website, and maybe they'll do them in a more interesting way, but uh, uh you don't <laughs> you don't tend to get right. a, a lot of very interesting stuff, in my opinion, uh, but. You have a very very interesting path to being a candidate. So let's let's kind of start with where you came from. You okay. are an, you you you're a television writer,
1: right? Yeah, made my living for as a television writer uh, for about twenty five years, and before that as a stand up comic. Um, but as a writer, I worked on uh, the Drew Carey Show and Ellen and Real Time with Bill Maher and about ten other shows.
0: So what? makes you then want to enter the world of government because you you, you then go on to D.C., well,
1: right? Yes. Well, I, uh, I, mean, I, I went to school for, I mean, I studied political science in college, so uh-huh. I, politics was kind of my first love. Um, entertainment was an entirely accidental career that I'm very grateful for, but it was never the plan. I moved to Washington after college with the hopes of getting uh, a job on the Hill, and I didn't, and started doing open mics at a comedy club just for the fun of it, and that took off. I ended (laughs) up having this comedy career, and I did The Tonight Show a couple of times, and then eventually uh, was able to get a writing job, which is The only way you can actually get a paycheck attached to (laughs) to a comedy career, at least at that point in my life, Uh, so that kind of took off. But throughout my writing career, I was always working for candidates and you know progressive politicians. Writing, I I wrote for Ted Kennedy and I wrote for uh, Alan Cranston, who was a senator in California. Um, And then in two thousand eight, I took a break from television writing to go to and to work for uh, Jackie Speer, a congresswoman from California. Uh, I was there for about, I think for four years, I worked as her communications director.
0: Can we just, just go back real quick to something that you mentioned because it's something that I've, I've heard a bunch, but I'm curious as to how it happens. So periodically with presidents or, or uh, politicians, you'll, you'll hear during like correspondence dinners or certain uh, you know uh, various functions that something will be written by like a famous comedy writer like you know like judd apatow <laughs> writes something for obama right. or something like that. Like, is that is that something that just happens with uh you know through, through an agent or or a, a, a no, showrunner no. how, how does it come together in,
1: in my in my case it was just word of mouth as as a young i mean even just as a young kid who volunteered on campaigns early on I got a reputation as having a good sense of humor and so they would ask me to do things but uh, Ted Kennedy so he was running for Senate running for re-election against Mitt Romney uh, somewhere in the 90s and I just got a call one day and it was actually Michael Kennedy which was Ted's nephew I think and he said you were recommended as a joke writer can you write some jokes for the Senator and I was like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, (laughs) my parents are Catholic Democrats, the Kennedys are, (laughs) you know, you don't get much, much higher than, than Kennedy. So, uh, so yeah, so I would, they would call me two or three times a week, usually, uh, with, you know, the Senator would be on the line and they'd, and they'd say, you know, I'm doing an event at such-and-such such union, you know, we need some jokes, and I would pitch some jokes to them, and uh, so, uh, but yeah, I've done that probably for 20 or 30 either candidates or office holders, and it's almost always just word of mouth. People call and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, this guy said you, were, you would write me some jokes, and you very seldom get paid, you know, maybe maybe you get a thank-you note, but you
0: know. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you this then, because now that every comedy, every comedian and comedy writer has a podcast, you hear these stories of uh, a writers' room sometimes not being the friendliest places to 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 pitch jokes, right? Like that that right. you know sometimes it can be a little nerve wracking as you're as you're laying out your ideas. How does that compare to pitching Ted Kennedy on, on jokes that you're writing for 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 him uh, for some
1: public event? Yes. On the spot and over the phone, yeah. It's, well, the good thing is is that uh, I mean, Ted Kennedy has a great sense of humor, and you would just hear this big, oh, 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 you know. And, and yeah. And he laughed at almost everything I pitched, which is great. What's worse is pitching jokes to someone who is not funny, and most politicians aren't known for their great sense of humor. Yeah. So, you know, you would tell the joke and then it would just be silence and you'd say, okay, this is why I think that's funny. And it's like, you know, when you have to explain a joke. Yeah. (laughs) It didn't work. Oh yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, so it is right. Right. The, the, the writer's room is both the best and worst place to be um, because when it's when you're on a show where there's a lot of great comedy writers and, you know, people are firing on all cylinders, it is just the best place in the world to be. You know, it's like having a dinner party with the smartest and funniest people in the world. Um but then <laughs> there are also those days when people aren't firing on all cylinders and you're doing the 10th rewrite of a script that just isn't working, you know, (laughs) it's a very sad place to be.
0: All right. So, so you go and and you are now an an aide for uh Jackie Spear. Uh, uh, what has you turned the corner to to say you want to know what I could see myself running uh, uh, myself uh, for for
1: Congress? Yeah. So, I so when my wife and i moved to ohio from california um one of the i mean my wife is is from here so we moved back to, we moved so so she could live near her family um and part of our goal was to really get involved in in the democratic party out here because as as much as i loved california it's not terribly exciting as a democrat in california when you know you're you're your rep is always a Democrat and they're going to win. And uh, we kind of liked the idea of moving to a, a state that we're, where it's a bit of an uphill fight for Democrats. Um, so I worked last cycle for the woman who was running against Jim Jordan, a woman named Janet Garrett. And I really had no thought of running myself. Um, but I kept getting annoyed by meeting democrats in ohio who who were running away from their progressive values they were acting like half a republican uh because the district they were in was conservative and they would lose anyway and so I, i can't tell you how many times i had this conversation with my wife just saying god i wish i wish a progressive would just run as a progressive and see what happens and who does do that here is Sherry Brown and he gets reelected. So it was almost like an experiment at first. It's like, well, let's, let's, let's do that. Let's try. Um, And I think it resonates. I think a lot of Democrats who've lived here forever are saying, finally, somebody is talking about Planned Parenthood and uh, assault weapons and, and, you know, uh, education and climate change, and you know the things that 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 we hold in our hearts. So it's been working really well for me, I think.
0: So let's talk about your opponent, right? You you ha- work with somebody that's running against him, and now you are running against him yourself. If if folks are yes. uh, are unaware uh, by the name itself, Jim Jordan is sur- surely somebody that you've seen on television throughout the impeachment uh and and pretty much anything yes. that's happened in the house uh he famously does not wear a jacket he is a former right. uh, uh, amateur wrestler and uh yes. you know has some has some <laughs> troubling connections to some of the uh the the, right. uh, uh, the scandals that have that have kind of erupted uh, uh recently in in the collegiate athletics but uh, uh from your perspective how would you
1: describe Jim Jordan so Jim Jordan, I mean not only doesn't does he not like to wear his suit jacket, he almost always wears the exact you know, a a a you know light blue shirt and a yellow tie, and it's it's so it's it is strange to see an adult man have an outfit, you know, that they always <laughs> wear like he's like Woody from Toy Story. Um but he does. So he's he's very conscientious of his brand you know that he always has this certain look um he's a he seems to be in politics for the toxic partisanship whereas i think most people left or right are in politics because they want to improve the world in some way and they put up with the political stuff but jim jordan has never authored a bill that was signed into law and and he's been there for 13 years um has no – never has very little constituent services here in the district. He never has town hall meetings or anything like that. Um, you never get like a newsletter like you would for every other I, – I, every other member of Congress has probably sent something, for instance, telling people about the census. You know, Jim doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. Uh, he is there purely to be on Fox News – and to, you know, tweet out very very right wing, partisan crap. Uh, so, but because of that, quite a few Republicans who can't stand him. In fact, John Kasich, the former governor here in Ohio, and John Boehner, the former Speaker of the House, both can't stand the guy, and 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 in fact are backing a an independent a former republican county chair who's running as an independent in november oh wow (laughs) yeah so that that's really what what attracted me to the race because there is this is a crazy gerrymandered district but the presence of this other republican who seems to be very well funded means uh that vote could be split and providing a, a lane for a democrat
0: Man, you are not kidding, because as you were talking, I was gonna ask you some questions about uh your your district that you are running for, uh, and man is this a screwy thing. Like like you would you would think that you know, Ohio tends to segment kind of like 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 Neapolitan ice cream in like Cleveland, no. Columbus, uh <laughs> right. Cincinnati, right? And and there could be some right. derivations that sort of govern those major population hubs, but this stretches at its most northeast into the suburbs of cleveland and then yep. at its most southern point is you know three hours south in <laughs> the suburbs of columbus this is crazy
1: oh yeah i mean look you, you see it there in front of you it looks like a sitting duck it's like a duck it and does it I does a very long a very the- long
0: bill on 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 the duck and 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 it's a very yeah, well, uh, this is full plumage if
1: you go to the the head of the duck there the bill and you'll see that it kind of juts out that's so that it can include a prison out there so it goes the district line is as wide as the road leading to the prison and it because that way they can use the population of the prison against jordan's you know population count but of course they're not allowed to vote and so It's a very creative drawing that they did, and partly is—I mean, it was clearly done just for Jim Jordan, Um, and partly is because he is so so disliked even by Republicans just because of his personality. You know, he's just a a guy who's always fighting. Yeah. Uh, Uh,
0: Do do you think that these? times that we're in right now where it it seems as if partisan fighting is as much of a brand builder as it's ever been bolsters him because he certainly has gotten plenty of praise in some of the, the the cable news and talk radio mediums and and was part of that a bizarre uh, uh well he he maybe got the most bizarre at boy out a trump during the uh, the 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 thank you oh,
1: we were talking about his body. oh, it
0: was yeah, so creepy it was it was an yes. interesting one where he was like talk, oh, talking about how he's yeah. just a very attractive, lithe man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, oh, I know that was so weird. um and you know, Jordan is. Jordan's in great shape, you know he's uh he's known in fact in d c he has an office in the basement of uh, one of the buildings because it is next to the gym so he chose his office for the proximity to the gym uh but uh yeah well he's got you know um i mean i
0: guess i guess my my, my question though is right. is 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 that like he is a lot more popular like as 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 weird or or creepy as it might be at least from my perspective that this might not be reflected on the ground and that's i guess my my question but it seems like he's got a higher profile and he's more popular than ever
1: well yes with with that segment of the republican party with yeah. that kind of right-wing argumentative you know the trump people he is he is by far the most I think he's the last rat off the Trump ship. You know, he's he's probably closer to Trump than any of those those people are. But um, yeah, well, you know, he's raising you know millions and millions of dollars from the very very far right. Uh, but I don't. But this district, even even though it is, you know, conservative, um, I don't. For for the most part, it is not as far right as Jim Jordan is yeah Uh, he's just never had he's never he's never had competition you know so it'll be interesting this time around a Republican who's more of a mainstream Republican running against them as independent
0: so I remember also when I was doing some research on you you did some videos of a a puppet Jim Jordan can you can you talk about where that came from
1: so, so in the last race in 2018, um, I joined the race and uh, I joined the campaign as as the candidate's communications director. And so I came up with this idea of challenging Jordan to a bunch of debates that we knew he would would ignore, and then do this puppet version of Jim Jordan to kind of mock him for being afraid to to debate and uh i happen to have a very good friend who is a probably one of the most one of the busiest puppeteers (laughs) out there he works for the for the jim henson company and so he built this jim jordan puppet and we used it to great effect uh then so then after that race um, Tim, the puppeteer, destroyed that puppet. Uh, used it, I think he broke it down for parts. And then when I decided to run, to my surprise, he sent me a video he shot with a brand new Jim Jordan puppet. So, oh,
0: that's that's um, hilarious.
1: Yeah, so we we we'll, we'll use. I'm sure we'll use it some more. It's, it, Tim is hilarious. Um, you know, we'll probably use it for uh, to, you know fundraising video or something it was something we'll use but well uh, it was hugely successful for janet garrick who ran uh last time she, she raised a ton of money off those puppet videos
0: so what is your platform what what, what are what are you running on obviously jordan is going to define the race uh, uh but 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 what do you what do you want to bring to the fore
1: well, the first thing I am running on in the primary, because we do have a primary in March, and there are two other Democrats running. So um, I am always sure to as as myself. I am a uh, a progressive. Um, I am not pretending to be moderate in order to, you know, sway voters in the middle. Um, I'm running as myself, and 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 uh, uh, the other two Democrats are are not. They are running more as more as moderate Democrats, and that's you know that's that's great. That's why we have elections. People vote the way they feel. Um, as far as taking on Jordan, the first thing I push is the fact that I worked for a congresswoman. To me, was the gold standard of representative who had. Uh, Jackie Speier has town hall meetings every month, um, is completely open uh, to her constituents, um, spends more time on constituent services probably than anything. Um, And here we have a congressman who does none of that, never has town hall meetings. So I want to be much more representative of of the people who would send me to Washington and one example of that is that there's a lot of small towns here in uh, the rural part of this district that has horrible internet, and yeah. there are federal government programs that bring broadband to rural communities, um, but your congressperson has to ask for them, and Jordan refuses to. Uh, and no one is closer to Trump than he is. It, it would happen in a minute if he if he just went to the Federal government and asked for one of these programs here in this district, but Jordan is so politically opposed to the government that I think he sees that as being off brand for him. If, if the government ever did anything for his constituents, so that is something that that's not a left-right Democrat Republican thing. That's you know we're all paying taxes. Our congressman isn't fighting to bring it back. Uh, So I I I talk about that a lot uh, on the uh, out out on the you know, when I'm out visiting folks or at debates. um, I want to redefine what it means to be a representative in this state.
0: You know, that that is an interesting idea that there is, you know, uh, everybody needs. I mean, if, if you don't have broadband Internet, then you are being left out of the modern economy. Right. Like there is there is a right. a, a real uh, a, a, a it's like it's effectively like being on a place without roads. You just can't get right. to the places I mean, it, you need to be.
1: I think it is as important as electricity or running water was in the 30s or whatever, you know, when that when that came to these towns. I mean, imagine if you have a small business and you don't have Internet service or your kid can't research their school paper. You know, uh, uh, your kid is applying for college, and they're competing against my kid, and my kid has Internet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really – and, oh, and, and God, the, the – like things like medical records, uh, you know, that's – I hear from a lot of people in the medical profession to say, you know, that's that's literally a life and death issue if, if a hospital doesn't have dependable uh, Internet.
0: Well, wow. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's it's it is a, you know, you're speaking to somebody who makes a living uh, recording terrible hot takes and putting them out on the Internet. So, <laughs> right. Like, you know, the, this this is a world in which I could not live. I would I would uh, I would have no job. I'd be immediately unemployed. Right. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. So that is that is that is fascinating. Uh, how have you found candidate life? Treating you so far? Do you do you, do you like it uh, more than than civilian life, or or is it interesting, <laughs> exciting? How you how's how's it wearing
1: on you? You know, I love the voter contact part of it. I like this part of it, talking to the media. Um, you know, i i would I would really love campaigning if I didn't have to ask people for money all the time. Uh, but I, the voter contact is great. Uh, especially when you get asked a challenging question, you know, that you don't see coming, you you tend to hear the same half a dozen questions, no matter where you go, you know, you talk about healthcare or uh, taxes or climate change or, you know, and so it's easy for a candidate to kind of fall into a prepared answer, you know, and it it kind of sounds like what you were saying, why you don't have many candidates on on your show, because it's, start hearing talking points and you know uh so i love when somebody asks something out of the blue uh maybe about an obscure topic or something and and that's fun for me uh it makes me sometimes you don't know your opinion on something until you hear yourself say it (laughs) you know yeah if it hasn't come up yet so
0: but asking for money's a pain in the ass huh
1: oh yeah yeah Uh, but, uh, but fortunately now, uh, with, uh, now that we live in the digital world, uh, you know, most of my money comes from, from that, from little videos I make, you know, uh, or emails that get sent out and people donate $5, $10, and that adds up pretty quick. Uh, so that's great. I I would say, God, I bet 10%. Of the money we've raised has been from me asking people directly, and so so that's good. I appreciate that. It's also a nice way to show the breadth of your of your support. Yeah, y- you know, when you have a lot of people giving five bucks, you know.
0: Well, let me let me ask you this question kind of philosophically, because obviously Act Blue and and a lot of the the real chip in mobile friendly payments has revolutionized how people get money, but there is a general meta question of like, well, so let's say people listen to this and they love you and they really loathe Jim Jordan because they've been watching him on cable news for the past few years and they desperately want there to be a true blue progressive on the ballot against him they want to make sure that you're well financed. But I, I can't imagine that more than a handful of my listeners are in your district and so you, you'd have a big wave of support from folks that have maybe never been into, uh, I'm I'm sure the charming right. environs of your duck district is that right. ultimately good for the folks that are on the ground there
1: well yeah i i don't know that it's i mean it is what it is uh yeah. you know jim jordan raises almost all of his money in washington dc you know he is entirely funded by corporate and right-wing lobbying organizations so uh, that's not good um uh, so you know, obviously, I'm in the middle of it, I am biased, but I think however we can raise the the funds to to hold Jim Jordan accountable is ultimately a good thing now i'm not um I don't take corporate you know money um, and not just because it hasn't been offered <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know uh, um but uh i mean. I try I make an effort to encourage people in the district to donate, even if it's a a token amount, Um, just uh, because I think there should be an investment in in your home district. Um, I have I have never been a big donor, like but I've always been a donor. I've always donated to to candidates. That I support, even if it's just a token amount, because I think that's it's important to to do that. Um, so you know, it, it, I wish there were tighter limits on political giving. Like for instance, I I think what Michael Bloomberg is doing is ridiculous that that is allowed in America, and that has nothing to do with Bloomberg. Politics. I like a lot of his politics, especially on guns and climate change, but I don't think you should be able to self-finance a race. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the rules are the rules. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so you
0: are you are ruling yourself out of one of those uh, 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 Michael Bloomberg funds your campaign for an endorsement kind of kind of deals that are flying around these days like that. You are you are counting yourself out on that.
1: Oh well, wait a minute! I didn't know he was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bloomberg is a wonderful person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, n- n- yeah. No, I. Uh, and and I, if if I self-funded my campaign, it would be a very weak campaign. Yeah. Uh, but no, and and as it is, I should say, you, you know, the other two people running in in my race, at least. Because I joined, I got in late. I was, I was the last person to file, so yeah, more money than me when we started. And uh, but my point was always, it, it doesn't matter how much money they have. I need enough money to get my message out. Yeah. And I think if I get my message out, I win, regardless of what they do. So you know, I'm not. I don't invest a lot of energy in you know comparing my campaign to someone else's
0: well all right here's here's the here's the deal then folks the 2020 ohio democratic primary is on march 17th uh our guest today has been mike larson emmy nominated television writer former aide to congresswoman jackie Speer and uh he is running as a Democrat against conservative Congressman Jim Jordan in Ohio, but he needs your vote on uh, primary day if you were in the district uh, to get there. You can find his website, ohiomike2020.com, and you can follow him on Twitter right now, at Mike Larson, that is L-A-R-S-E-N-O-H, as in Ohio. And I'm sure that you can yes. uh, find him on find him on Please. Act Blue and chip in a little bit.
1: Yes, Yeah, please come visit our site. You can donate through there. And also in Ohio, we have early voting, which starts in a week. Oh, wow. I believe it starts on February 19th. So, uh, yeah, so we're in in the thick of it right now.
0: Well, uh, Mike, I, I wish you the best. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Really appreciate you having me.
0: all right that'll wrap it up for us i want to thank our titanic ten dollar tier dennis michael jonathan brad adam olin and angela zach chad andrew will peter nick frozen summers jim dl lindsey steven squids mixtape adam d laser andy paul and mike You guys, you guys, they are the tip of the spear that makes sure this train keeps rolling. We're rolling through Nevada. We're rolling through South Carolina. It is on. You want to email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Support us at takepoliticsseriously.com. A reminder, $3 Club gets you two bonus episodes, one on Monday and one on Thursday. You want to sign up for my newsletter? Well, hell, it's great. You can do it. It's for free. freepoliticalnewsletter.com. You want to play my card game, The, The Contender, the game of presidential debate? Well, go on Amazon. Buy it right now. I mean, geez, Justin R. Young on all uh, social media platforms—Twitter and Instagram—the the most used. Till next time, it's your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, "I heard a show that talked about politics. There was an Instagram account I saw that was covering politics, and boy, was I knee deep in politics by the time I left Manchester. But folks." This is the only show that dares discuss all!